Welcome to the latest episode of At The Flicks. Yes, the three old-timers are back with our eclectic mix of news, reviews and rambling discussions of everything movie-related. If you wish that Clint Eastwood still had his Magnum 44 and Marvel's Universe... Oh, no. Hulk should be played by Lou Ferrigno, then you're in the right place. Hello, my name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. My ideal film would be a new version of Night of the Living Brexit, sorry, I mean dead, starring Boris Johnson. Hi, I'm Neil, and my special subject is world animation, although I like any films, really, blockbuster, foreign, well, with the exception of horror movies. I have a man who does that for me, don't I, Jeff? Oh, I do everything for you, Neil. Oh, my God, that sounds really <laughs> camp. <laughs> okay, and hi, I'm Graham, and I cover science fiction movies and comics. And boy, do I have a treat for you with my review this month. But before all that, tell us, Jeff, what was the answer to the question you set for fun at the end of last month's episode? I'm glad you asked, Graham. As a reminder for those joining us for the first time, you lucky people, the question was, what is the connection between Christopher Walken's Max Schreck character from Batman Returns and Thomas F. Wilson's character from Back to the Future Part 2's Alternative 1985? The answer is both characters were inspired by then New York property tycoon Donald Trump. Oh, I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> well, I well, yeah. What did happen to him? Did he did he retire? He's got to be pretty old now. Yeah, he's he's ancient, isn't he? He's probably actually he's probably on the golf course. Probably most of the time, I would do. <laughs> right. Okay, so now Jeff has dazzled us with his movie trivia knowledge. Let's get back to the show. Coming up, we're going to give you our take on the current awards season, then our thrilling new movie news feature. Then our main feature, Bill, of a triple of film reviews. Of course, we will alert you to any spoilers with our spoiler alert gun. So, Jeff, what is our theme for this staggeringly entertaining episode two? Well, Neil, as we're in the middle of award season, I thought we could discuss who we would have liked to have seen nominated for the big prizes. Graham, we'll start with you. You are now on the set of a Mission Impossible movie, and your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to give your top four contenders for Best Film, Best Actor, and Best Actress. Your time starts now. First category is Best Film. and um, So my contenders for Best Film, Best Actor, uh, and Best Actor Actress are, are slightly different from the Academy. My criteria, the one that... The, the, the way I look at movies, and particularly at the uh, the best film, is the story. You know, excellent concept, great um, telling of a story. This is where I look closely at the screenwriter's skill in translating the story into a clear narrative that works in in a visual medium. So I, I always look at the story, and then. The other thing I really like is the out of nowhere, a different movie or something that I hadn't seen before or a reimagining of a, of a, a familiar story, but told in a very different way. Um, the one that comes to mind is Monster Calls, you know, how a, a young kid deals with the death of his mother from cancer. Really didn't see that coming. This was like a monster movie and hang on, what's going on in the background? What's happening? Really impressed with that one. Um, and then there is the... I just loved it, 
category where it's just like, oh, this is just brilliant. I'm just loving this. Um, does not even have to be a multi-million dollar pound, a million uh, dollar extravaganza. Usually just, they aren't as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway's little indie art house um, excursion, Colossal. I loved that movie. Agreed. And it was just great. And it cost 2p to put together and the other one is um, in search of the wilder people you know yeah yeah it was two two people in new zealand wandering around in the forest and it was brilliant <laughs> yes it was, it was yeah. so okay let's get my nominations out and the first one is hostiles uh, this was again what a surprise uh, a western like no other grizzly real uh, and more a story about the ending of things uh, rather than the beginning of things or, or um uh, dark uh, it starts dark and it heads downward from there um i thought hostiles was an excellent excellent movie and with, then, go on sorry go on. yeah to, to cut in on you there yeah with the exception of rosamund pike who i just didn't think had the range to pull that one off but picky. that aside it was really good a bit harsh <laughs> What's wrong with her? Yeah. What couldn't you emotionally engage with her? <laughs> Clearly <laughs> not. Clearly not. And to be honest, I felt she couldn't emotionally engage with the film's oh, material either. So I think, yeah, she was. She had a hard part to play. She was sort of trying to be the shocked mother who just lost her entire family, and so she was in sort of post-traumatic stress most of the time, and just clinging on to this man for comfort. It's a hard act to pull off. Okay, sorry. Second, second film for me, uh, Dunkirk. Uh, visually stunning, uplifting, intelligent. Uh, I like movies that just drop me in. You know, here you go, bang, no no introduction, no voiceover, no let's ease them in gently, just drop you straight into the uh, the middle of the film. And I like films like that because the, the director thinks, well, the people who are watching this are intelligent enough to get this, so I'm just going to do it and, you know, sink or swim and you can get on with it. And this, Dunkirk does it in bucket loads. Uh, it was just bang, hold on. Um, here we go and you're going on a journey Uh, Doyle treats his audience with respect no spoon feeding no voiceovers just here you go I loved it absolutely loved it uh, I mean I know you had a a technical issue when you saw it in in IMAX Jeff but uh, I saw it in our local (laughs) flea pit and it was just fabulous absolutely fabulous yeah yeah no I I agree with everything you said Um, you say Doyle do you mean Christopher Nolan Nolan (laughs) yes Yeah, that one. <laughs> that uh, one. Yeah. I, I, uh, that, that director bloke. That, yeah. that director bloke, I thought <laughs> yeah. was really good. It, it's funny, because I was reading a review. Y- you're right, I, had, um, I saw it in London, had some real technical problems where I saw it. I did read a review from somebody uh, I knew in the past who said, if the Academy vote for this, they must be nuts. And clearly he just didn't get it and didn't understand the premise of it at all. I, I totally agree with you, Graham. And I don't say that often. In fact, ever. <laughs> don't agree with anybody, do you? <laughs> yeah, right. The next one, uh, Jeff's going to agree with me 100% on this, is Blade Runner 2049. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> Thanks. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, um, mainly, I'm recommending this, mainly because it pisses Jeff off, but seriously, for me, this was an absolute treat. Uh, I, I bought the download, I've watched it a couple of times now, and it just keeps getting better, and I see more and more stuff in it. It's uh, just one of those really... I didn't think they could pull it off. I was really nervous about going in to see it, and it, it, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Seriously, though, I've got to say, don't drink while watching this film because you'll be asleep within minutes. (laughs) Right. We shall uh, agree to disagree. Okay. And finally, and I 
definitely not going to get any comments from my uh, colleagues here. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Even with all the positive hype about it, even with the great trailer, it's still a movie that far exceeded my expectations. Great script, wonderful cast, powerful movie. Just just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Out of those four, my nomination would probably go to Dunkirk. Just loved it. Absolutely there. Christopher Doyle's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, director Doyle. He was good. He was good, yeah. I liked his stuff, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. And, and Jeff's never going to let me forget that one. No, no. Episode two, I got the director wrong, and Jeff's going to nail me for that, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, well, that's my list. Uh, you're up next, Neil. What's your list? My favourite films of the year. Um, my first one, Wonder Woman, obviously. It's an excellent vehicle for Gal Gadot and DC's best film since Batman The Dark Knight. It's just wonderful. It's terrific. I loved everything about it. The story, the actors in it were excellent. And Jeff's going to say something. Are you saying that Wonder Woman is better than Batman vs Superman? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I'll leave you with that thought. Jeff, well, I don't think we need to think about it. Are Jeff. you off your meds again? I think, I think so. Really? Yeah. God. I think he's struggling, isn't he? <laughs> we'll come back to this later. Moving on. Um, my life as a courgette. Yes, uh, as yes, good yes. As yes. Pixar's best. The yes. story of a troubled child following the death of his alcoholic mother. The scenes in the orphanage will make you cry tears of sadness and laughter. Uh, Kurt, Mark Kermode put it in um, halfway through the year as his one of his fil- films of the first half of 2017 and i thought okay fine i'll watch it i had no idea what was going to happen and then suddenly there's a scene in there and i just sat back and thought what and it took me along it was absolutely it is a recommendation to everybody it is fantastic um, my third film, you're not going to say anything, are you? Uh, no, no, I can't, just, unfortunately. Because you haven't Neil, seen it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, well, I, I have seen it, and I would absolutely endorse everything you said. Uh, I mean, you recommended it to me, and I thought, oh, I'll have a look at it. Uh, it's and a kids' it's, film. It's, it's a kids' uh, film, and, it's, and it's I looked at not. it. It's an hour long, and I thought, yeah, I've got a spare hour. And I watched it, and I was bowled over. It was really, it's excellent. Really a good. tired person with a, a spare hour. How what would you think um paddington 2 is my next one um i saw this in the middle of <laughs> we were at um, a work i was at a works do and i was bored so i went down to the cinema and watched it and came back and um and just carried on as if no nothing had happened uh, i um, take it they didn't miss you then they didn't no no um it's as good as the first one and the first one was absolutely fantastic i think they're doing extremely well the cast is excellent ben Wishaw does a fantastic job with Paddington, um, it's a great film. It's an absolute great film, and uh, goes back to uh, some of the uh, Michael Horden um, TV uh, shows back in uh, well, my youth, really. Um, my f- oh no, Jeff, here we go. What? Well, I'm just going to make what? a comment. That's all to say that, and these are words I don't normally say. I agree with Neil. Good, good grief. grief. My fourth film, uh, Death of Stalin. Um, it's extremely funny, and it also appears to be freakishly reflecting what apparently happened the days after Trump was elected. Um, it's just it's just funny all the way through. The characters are built up very well. They, you just have a, an idea of what what life was like when the dictator Stalin dies, and nobody knows what to do. Well, why not make it funny? It is 
very good and a recommendation to everybody. And I, I loved it as well, but it really disturbed me because um, Anando, what's his name? Amando Anucci. Amando Anucci. Amando Anucci. Uh, not Doyle. <laughs> no, 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 Doyle on okay. this one. No, right. no, no. Not, not we'll come back to Doyle later. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he, he has you laughing while people are being dragged out to be executed, and you're thinking, "Oh, hang on a minute!" And you just stop laughing now. Yeah. It's really yeah. quite very well done. And, and well um, done. one of them, uh, uh, who is it? It's um, uh, what's his name? Paul Whitehouse. Um, there's a laugh, there's a good laugh as he's lying underneath um, the dead body of Stalin, and he's, he's all he's all he's complaining about is the fact that he's got pee all over him now. <laughs> it is really, really. It is, it is. There is some dark humour in there. Um, my best film, my favourite film, My Life Is a Courgette. It was a big surprise. The film really struck a chord, and because animation never wins Best Picture, and you're going to tell me it did once. No, no, animation has oh, never won a Best Picture. Oh, good. Uh, there's a big argument about whether it should be nominated. Yeah. But no, no, not one ever. Right. Okay, so I, I take it it's me then. Yeah, yeah my list. You're, well, you're up, you, Jeff. you just default. carry on talking. Okay. Uh, well, I'm impressed because both in this and in the last podcast we did, I always go last. So yeah. you guys have picked the best. So clearly I'm going to have some crossover with you. Uh, and it's designed to cut down what I can say on these things. Good. Okay, well, that's fine then. Let's go for my nominations of best film. Journey's End. Now, this is the latest screen version of R.C. Sherriff's play, but suitable grim look at World War One with an excellent cast, brilliant ensemble cast, and what should be a star-making term for Sam Claflin. Just such a shame it's been so little seen. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, Baby Driver, writer-director Edgar Wright's classy homage to getaway driver movies is literally cut to its music, assured and stylish. Why, and I asked this, I put this out to you guys, are Wright's American-made movies so much better than his British ones? That's rubbish. Really? Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, you're kidding me. So Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz against Baby Driver and Scott okay, Pilgrim. Okay, no, Baby versus, Driver has got better. And has, Scott he's got... Pilgrim versus the world. Okay, better. he's getting better and better and better, but yeah, I'm not sure that that is entirely true. No, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. He's, he's developing really, really well uh, as, a, as a director and as a writer as well. I mean, he wrote Baby Driver, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he yes, it's based on an idea he's had for a long time. Well, yeah, okay. And, and now he's got the skills and the people and the money and the reputation to, to, to really take it off. I mean, he was working on a shoestring when he was in the UK. Hot fuzz. They made it for, for almost yeah, nothing, two quid. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, you can almost listen to just the music and see <laughs> the cuts being in and the way the whole movement is to the actual music. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, going it's for fantastic. coffee was never so musical. Really. It's fantastic. <laughs> absolutely. So those are my two original ones. So let's cover ground that you guys have already covered. Yes. Paddington 2, which Neil's already mentioned. Uh, it's no wonder that Disney have signed up director Paul King for their new live-action Pinocchio. And three billboards outside Ebbin, Missouri. Uh, just brilliant, with amazing performances from Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell. Okay, so a really impressive list, Jeff. Uh, one small problem. Uh, um, first one, Journey's End. 
Neil and I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it, have you, Neil? Nope, nope. No, no, we haven't seen it. Because um, it was on limited distribution. It was only in London, wasn't it? And, and thank goodness for that, really. Otherwise, you two would have pipped that one from me as well. <laughs> Imagine the minute it was over, you were waxing lyrical on our WhatsApp group. Oh, so I think brilliant. it made an impression. It did make a big impression. And funnily enough, when I did see it, the cinema was full. Because there's so few screens showing it. God. I'm with you on Baby Driver as well. I had no issue with that bit. Despite Spacey Gate, it's still a great movie. It's only nominated for sound editing by the Academy, which is a bit rough. You, you mentioned somebody called Spacey there. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on, <laughs> Jeff, think... before we get ourselves sued. Yeah. Jeff. Sorry, Neil, you're not correct there, and how I love saying those words. It's also nominated for Best Editing and Sound Mixing. Also, I'm pleased to say it won a BAFTA for its excellent editing last weekend. Jolly good. Nitpicking yep. is uh, Jeff's specialist. I subject, think so, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's just going to be irritating all I, the way through this one, yeah, isn't Yeah, I know. Oh, and just before he picks on me, I haven't seen Paddington 2 either. Sorry, Jeff. You know, I saw the first one, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and I hear that this one's even better. Yes, yes. yes. it certainly is good, if not better. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, shall we move on to Best Actress? Best Actress. And, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go first. <laughs> so, Francis McDormand, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. The cert to win everything, and as we saw from BAFTA on the weekend, she certainly does, and it's easy to see why. Miss McDormand plays a woman who has suffered and occasionally lets you in to see the person underneath the toughness. It's simply a masterclass in acting. Uh, you'll get no arguments from me on that one. Brilliant. Simply brilliant. Yeah, really agree. don't see enough of her. Why is she not doing a movie every year? It's like she just go, she's just got these huge periods in her career where she just seems to do nothing. Because she can, I guess. It's a choice. Oh, no, sorry. Like it, sorry. As, as a film goer, I demand yes, more. I demand more. more. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish Michael Bay had been as much selective as she is. <laughs> Uh, right, moving on. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Jessica Chastain uh, for Molly's Game. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we talk about careers, and other than the Scottish accent she tried in Huntsman's Winter's War, Miss Chastain rarely puts a foot wrong. And here she gives an assured performance with the added bonus of delivering quality Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Then there's Gail Gadot from... Oh, Gal Gadot, I beg your pardon. Gal Gadot. From, yeah. from Wonder Woman. Uh Notice this is a DC superhero, not Marvel. That's because DC is better. Yes, it doesn't just stop at Batman versus Superman. It's all good. No, it did stop at <laughs> Batman versus Superman. And we had one small twinkle with uh, Wonder Woman, which was an excellent film, and it's all been dreadful since then. The one film since then. But I'm sure we'll come back and talk about that shortly. And finally, I'll move on to Annette Benin for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Annette Benin portrays actress Gloria Graham in the last few years of her remarkable life. It is a performance which captures fear of old age and dying in a truly astonishing way. Again, an excellent list, but a very, a very Jeff-centric list with a movie we mere mortals of life outside the cinema have not seen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Annette Benning in... St- uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool. I thought Journey's End got a limited release, but uh, Film Stars was released in even fewer cinemas than that. Okay, Jeff, tell us where did you see that one? 
Oh, you know where this is heading, don't you? Uh, I saw that, Graham, at the Stroud Cinema Senior Citizen Screen. I lied about my age. Over 65. Jeff is sneaking into underage films again, returning to your old ways, are you? (laughs) You might have seen some pretty inappropriate things in there. You know, you might have seen people mainlining Werther's originals. Yeah, oh, great. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> Laugh it up, guys. I don't need I mean, to come here to be insulted. To be, fair, to be fair, Jeff, you're not that far away from being 65, <laughs> so I guess that wouldn't have been too much of a yeah, you could have a stretch. Easy. Yeah. It's like oh. being 17 and three quarters, isn't it? And sneaking it in. <laughs> Into an 18. <laughs> 18. They were ex certificates in my day, by the way, Neil. Um, and, guys. If this continues, I'm just going to cut off your supply of Colombian worthers. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, hang on. Just one last thing, Jeff. Uh, I'm just going to check to s- outside for flying pigs. Uh, I'm glad I'm recording this, Jeff, in actual fact. Did I just hear you say some positive things about a superhero movie there? You did. Yeah, well, Wonder Woman. It's a great summer entertainment. And, you know, DC is better than Marvel. Oh, for God. <laughs> Is he going to go on? And yeah, on and, and let me explain. Let me put this in perspective it's to you. It's a because film. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not just a film. It's there. There's a state of mind. There's this like hyped up Marvel state of mind. That's a bit like a Scientology thing. Or there's the free thinking DC. Now, this is why DC is better, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy and the Last Thor. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Marvel always try to ground their stories in a reality we know. And we're going to come back to this, as you know, Graham, in our Black Panther discussion, because oh, we've already started to cover this. They humanize the characters. DC, and especially when God like Zack Snyder, he didn't take that approach. They mythologize things. They're larger than life. That's why Batman's versus Superman, which you lot mock, but it's a classic movie, Everything is turned up to 11. In fact, it's the spinal tap of superhero <laughs> movies, from the direction to the music. I read these comments in the 60s, and that's the feeling that I walked away from it. They were larger than life. So, And that brings me back, actually. Uh, I'm just going to rant on for a moment, which brings <laughs> me back surprise, to Guardians. <laughs> the settings are fantastic. It's all set in space, big adventures. But do you know what? The characters aren't that exciting. And that truly is the best of Marvel. Now, that's a personal choice from me. Yes, it is. And I'm sure you've got something very witty to say about it. (laughs) Really? So you're telling me that Suicide Plod and Justice Plague, I mean Justice League, uh, against Civil War and Black Panther? Jeff, uh, you're as contrary as ever. Right. Hang on a minute now. (laughs) Let's... The Suicide Squad, uh, that's a cheap shot. (laughs) Justice League (laughs) was taken over... And taken off the godlike Zack Snyder <laughs> to a third-rate director, who then butchered it. Well, yeah, um, I'm sure there's a really good uh, movie on the cutting room floor, but uh, we're never going to see that, Jeff. Well, even if you sneak into underage movies, you're never going to see that. I've signed the petition. <laughs> if it's like Blade, the original Blade Runner, we can have about fourteen versions. Oh, yeah, we can indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, Neil, please bring us. Back to the nominations. What did you have on your list before Jeff leaves us all in the dust with a massive rant? My favourite actresses were 
Gal Gadot, she is awesome. A charismatic leading actor and at last return to form from, for DC. Just uh, sorry, one, did you, way, you just, said DC then? Right. Just, yes, I yeah. said DC. Uh, um, and just, and I did agree with him on Wonder Woman. Yes, but the rest are crap. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. well yeah, maybe not. But um, um, my second one, which of course um, been said before, um, Frances McDormand. Again, like Jeff says, she's the tour de force, uh, and we should have more of her forcibly if we have to um i agree with them again jessica chastain in molly's game as she rarely puts a foot wrong she's utterly believable as a serial achiever who takes a gap year and then carries on it's a fantastic film and she leads it all the way through can i just say for this podcast it's no point taking my script and writing your name over it you've got to come up with your own Okay, then I'll try this one. Sally Hawkins, because she's Sally Hawkins. And what film has she been in that is ever less than good? And she's excellent as a mute who's desperate to find fulfilment. I'll Um, give you that one. And the winner is, for me, Sally Hawkins. She had to carry the film without saying a word and not get lost amongst the considerable acting ability of the rest of the cast, including the always excellent Octavia Spencer. Stuck in the 60s. Stuck in the 60s. Let's not forget it. Poor woman, poor actress. Stuck in the 60s. Yeah, standing up to Michael Shannon, who himself was on great form, is one thing. But with only sign language, brilliant. I'll I'll come back and talk about that in more detail in my review. I've I've just got to add here that while you guys, and sorry for anybody out there listening who's probably bored to tears by now. Our listener. (laughs) Yeah, our listener. Don't upset our listener. Absolutely. (laughs) I am, you'll notice I'm giving my reviews, but I'm not picking one out of them because to me they're all winners. It's like, you know, it's like picking your favourite relief charity, although these days the contenders are dwindling. Anyway, back to you. Okay, I started uh, thinking about um, what I most looked for in a, an actor and actress and, uh, and came down to a few things that I really like. So my, my list is going to be based around the, the sort of things that I look for. So reality is one. Um, <laughs> being a friend of Jeff's, that rarely comes up these days. Um, who did I find the most believable character in a leading role um, where the actor fades away and is a 100% believable character? Um Actors working outside their comfort zone, so comedians in a serious role or a sporting actor taking on a leading role. Uh, and scene stealers. I, I love it when there's um, an actor who just owns the entire scene, even though the uh, the leading man or the leading lady's there, and, and, and you just can't take your eyes off them. You think, OK, going to have to look out for them in the future. So I like scene stealers, and I like that. So my best actress nominations would be Frances McDermott, uh, totally becomes the abused wife grieving for her dead daughter whilst kicking people in the balls and taking on the whole town. I just thought she was just great. I just uh, There's a level of grumpiness you can only aspire <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, Sally Hawkins for her role uh, in The Shape of Water. She totally became that character, the mute misfit um, whose very actions speak for her. I just, I loved it. Loved the film. Loved her. Thought she was great. Um, I was stunned at her really strong Cockney accent when she was at the BAFTAs. I thought, hang on, no, you're mute. Shut up. What are you talking? 
Um, and then I'm going to have troubles with this girl's name. Uh, Lolito, right? Letitia. Letitia, right. Okay. Uh, as her, um, in Black Panther, her role is Q, I mean Suri. Um, uh, this English actress just steals every scene she's in. She's quick, she's funny, she's affable. Um, she just takes a very small part in the movie and expands it to fill the screen. I just wanted more of Ms. Wright in the movie. Um, once her scene was finished, I found myself saying, well, I hope she's going to come back later, because I thought she was brilliant. And then finally, uh, Gal Gadot. Oh, uh, DC again? <laughs> That's three ways of saying the name. Yeah, Gal Gadot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we really need to work on this, guys. We do, yes. Yeah. Uh, standardised. We need a, a, a dictionary of standard That's, terms and yeah. conditions. Yeah. Finally, a woman um, leads a superhero movie single handedly, strong, driven, moral, and modern. Yeah. So my nomination would be for Frances McDermott, um, who displays a level of pig headedness. That's just wonderful. Okay. So, shall we go on to Best Actor? Take us away, Jeffrey. Excellent, I'm getting in first again. (laughs) So, let's start off with everybody's favourite this year, Gary Ullman as Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. Now, the odds-on favourite, and to be honest, for all the work he's done over the years, this is well-deserved. He's won the BAFTA. The chances are, in early March, he will walk away as well with the Oscar. Script doesn't always deliver, but he does as Winston Churchill and thanks to that makeup, he's often lost in character. Yeah. Next up for me is Christian Bale in Hostiles. Hostiles came up earlier. Yeah. I just can't believe this performance has been so overlooked. It's a powerful Western, as Graham said, in which Mr. Bale, a soldier who has seen far too much violence, acts with his eyes while sporting some rather impressive facial hair. The angus and the sadness in that character are there for all to see. It's wonderful. Now... Picking up on a point of yours, Graham, you're talking about sort of comedians in serious roles. And one for me would be Steve Carell. And over recent years, he's done uh, a number of these sort of roles. But I think in Battle of the Sexes, again, it's another overlooked performance. In this, he plays real-life character Bobby Riggs, who challenged Billie Jean King in tennis. He combined the pathos and the humour of the man. You still like that character at the end of the film, even though some of the things he does are questionable. And finally, and I've got to get this in again, Sam Clayflin for Journey's End. Now this is, it's a complete ensemble movie. I didn't see this one come in. I thought he was okay in Hunker Games and various other roles I've seen him in. But, you know, following up from uh, Their Finest, this is another riveting performance it's of a haunted man in horrible conditions. Hmm. My favourite actors were... Well, I just copied Graham, uh, Jeff again. Um, now Gary, you're mixing me up with Graham. Now you really are sorry, starting yeah, to get I'm in trouble now, aren't I? Um, Gary Oldman, perfect performance from that too. He can seemingly turn his hand to any role. Um, second one, Steve Carell. I agree with Jeff again. Ridiculous on Steve Carell. It's not an easy role to play. It's a sexist pig. I can remember the Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs um, events, um, and uh, because my mum was a big uh, tennis fan, and 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 uh, you still empathise with him. He's there's a reason behind everything. It's it's just huge money to be made for both of them so he plays a game he plays a role being the baddie in the whole thing 
His exchanges with Emma Stone's Billie Jean King were excellent. Trading blows, but still able to smile. And interesting fact for you here, Neil, from Thank real you. life, Billie Jean King and... Bobby I've Riggs. Bobby Riggs. Thank you very much. Do- Doyle. 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 Oh, Doyle. 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 <laughs> Remained friends throughout their life. In fact, she spoke to him the night before he died. So, yeah. It, and that carries through in the film as well. Yes. Um, and uh, my third one is Woody Harrelson for his calm police chief in uh, Three Billboards. Provides the perfect foil for Francis McDormand's determined mother. He basically, the way he deals with her is like no other person. He's, it's, it's like they've known each other for so long and she can say whatever he li- she likes to him. And he'll just very calmly explain that this, this is happening, this is happening, and he can't do this and he can't do that. Whereas the re- everybody else seems to just react badly to her. He's very calm. He's, it's a fantastic role for him and he does it very well. Um, and my fourth one, Hugh Jackman for Logan. Oh, um, good pink, good pink. Thank that. you. Another uh, superhero. <laughs> Marvel. Marvel. Um, it's a fitting finale for the Wolverine, and he kept his best Wolverine for last, and he didn't sing, always a bonus. And my favourite, Gary Oldman, obviously, is a shoo-in for the all with the awards going, really, wasn't he? Thanks, Neil. Excellent, excellent list. Um, nice to see Marvel getting a mention there again. Great. <laughs> it's made not, my night. We're not making this a thing, are we? Marvel versus I DC. I think so. I oh, think so, yeah. Dear. No, because DC would win every time. So, is, uh, is there a third one I can support? Yeah. Um, oh, God, I've forgotten the name of the movie company. Top Pick. Cow, Top Cow. Yeah, Top Cow comics are really good. Okay. Um, <laughs> where are we? Okay. Uh, my nominations for Best Actor, Christian Bale. We've already said it. Uh, I think Jeff, you picked it as well. Um, is this is his second strong character in a western? Uh, also loved his performance in um, Three Ten to Yuma. Good uh, shot. His excellent film, and again he was playing a, a gritty, hard uh, cowboy in that. It seems to be a, 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 a sort of a genre he seems to like. Uh, actually, Graham, uh, you make a good point there. Let's get rid of these superhero movies and have more westerns. Oh. <laughs> More films that aren't superhero movies. Yeah, they are. There is a point at which you've got to think superhero films are just like westerns, really. That same sort of basic, you know, the the lone individual against the elements. Um, So Christian Bale, I'd pick there. Uh, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I just love this characterization of the pacifist who went to war. I I find it totally captivating, and it just seems to have disappeared. Uh, he is excellent in it. Isn't he? he was brilliant in it, and uh, I loved that. Um, Gary Oldman, yeah, the, the darkest hour. Uh, Hugh Jackman for Logan. <clears throat> uh, again, I'm with Neil on this one. Super Hooray. performance, uh, aging X Men, trying to protect his old master and his daughter. I just thought it was a great way, a uh, really clever way to end the um, the whole series. Yeah, yeah. into. So, um, my nomination for Best Actor goes to Francis McDormand. Yeah, uh, oh, I think that's right. Uh, I really don't think that men were as good as women this year. <laughs> I think that the men really need to up their game for next year. Yeah. With the exception of Gary Oldman, I didn't find you know, the range and the diversity and the intelligence um, in, in, the men, in the male category as they did in the female category. So... Women are actors as well, so Francis is an actor for me, and I'm putting men on notice. Work harder. I prefer, I prefer 
Referring you back to my comments last month about Tom Hanks in the Post. And on the basis of these comments, I'm going to start a Mail Me Too movement. (laughs) Um, So, there we go. Maybe we should or shouldn't be in charge of the awards. Mind you, can you imagine Neil as a compere? At least that'll find some use for those dresses, eh, Neil? I can't compete with yours, Jeff. Did you sew on all the sequins yourself? No, that's what I got a wife for. Right, let's go to the next section. Uh, Some movie news. Okay, new feature this month, movie news. Each month we look at movie news which we find interesting. Don't expect any scandal discussed here. We leave that to reality TV or Neil when he's off air. Okay, first up, you may have thought George Lucas has finished with Star Wars, but it appears that Star Wars hasn't finished with him. On a recent visit to the set of Solo, a Star Wars misfire, sorry, story, the Star Wars creator met with Ron Howard and offered directing advice on one scene, which Ron Howard then added to the film. Graham, do you think this will improve things, or are you seriously waiting for this one, especially after that trailer? Oh, thanks, Jeff. You touched a raw nerve then. Uh, you know I'm a big Star Wars fan. Uh, I'm very worried about this movie, really worried about this movie. I, I read the news, and the first thing that popped into my mind was that George had persuaded Howard to give George R. Binks a cameo in Solo. But seriously, uh, what does George Lucas know about directing? I mean, his greatest movie was actually directed by... Irving Kushner, wasn't it? Uh, the it Empire was Strikes Empire Back. Strike Back yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and before Jeff jumps down my throat, I agree a good good directing job he did on American Graffiti, but that was forty five years ago. And and don't forget THX one one three eight. Oh that was good, yeah. Yeah. But that was about fifty years ago. It was, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. yeah. Right. Um, Well, Jeff, if you're not looking forward to Solo, um, uh, then this one will really fill you with dread. Hasbro, the toy company, has continued to exploit their toy line for cinematic profit um, with the superhero doll Action Man. Is Action Man... He's a doll. He is a doll. Yeah, okay. Currently in development, uh, James Bobbin... Uh, of the reboot Muppet fame, uh, will direct from a script written by Paddington 2 scribe, Simon Farnaby. Um, No news when filming starts. uh, And in related Hasbro news, Transformers 6 has been cancelled. Hang on on a minute on that one. You can cheer on it. (laughs) Let's not forget, they, they have removed it from the slate. They've still got Bumblebee opening this Christmas. And as there's no Star Wars film... That could go through the roof, which means the whole thing will be back on again, like some never-ending eighth circle of hell. (laughs) That's a nightmare. Well, and just to add to that nightmare scenario, um, they are talking about doing a Transformers complete reboot. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, And just when you thought you got out, they suck you back in again. Jeff, uh, you're looking ill. Yeah, you can't take news like that without having to lie down, dear. Okay, Neil, as an action man yourself, what do you have to say? It's the stuff of nightmares, Jeff. Well, Neil, on the subject of nightmares, (laughs) are you still keen on watching Halloween with me later this year? Jamie Lee Curtis has just finished filming her scenes. It looks brilliant. You must be up for that. Moving on, let's go from one action man to another. A new Shaft film is in the works. The cool black private eye made famous by Richard Roundtree in the 70s. And still the best. Who was transformed into Samuel L. Jackson in 2000. Okay, pop quiz. Which actor played the bad guy in that movie? No idea. No idea. Christian Bale. (laughs) 
Will yeah. we, will, Did he have will, a beard? No, he didn't. No, no, oh, clean shaven. It was a bit like his uh, American psycho persona in that one. <laughs> well, we'll now get a third incarnation. While the plot details are still under wraps at present, our retired detectives have found out that this was originally called Son of Shaft, who will be played by Jesse T. Usher from last year's Independence Day Resurgent, where he played Will Smith's son. When one of Shaft Jr.'s friends is murdered, he has to call on his still-called dad, Samuel Samuel L., to help him. And yes, Richard Roundtree also appears to make this three generations of the Shaft. (laughs) (laughs) Look forward to this opening in 2019. What do you think? Need another Shaft film? I'm not sure. It was a very 70s thing. Uh, Three movies and a TV series, along with Sidney Poitier in the heat of the night this was groundbreaking stuff now it's just the norm really isn't it Um, well we can hope that script lives up to it although looking at the track record of those guys behind the camera that would be a first although i've got to say that first photo of the three generations of shaft does look very cool what do you think? I haven't seen <laughs> it. it. The three of them wearing the same coat. That's, oh, that that, that passes for cool. In, in fact, we could pass as that. <laughs> That's impressive. We um, are the new shaft. Exactly. Oh. Obviously, I'd be the young one. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want you for my son, I'll tell you that now. Right. Granddad, maybe. Moving on very swiftly. Okay, let's. Um, that was our that was our news section. Um, although I don't think we treated it with the respect <laughs> that it deserved yeah, or didn't must, deserve. Hang on, hang on. How can you treat anything that has an item on action man as a film <laughs> with any respect whatsoever? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Roundtree, he must be ninety now, yeah. and from the look of it, he looked he looked grey, bored. Fat. That's much like us. Are we really? talking? Yeah, Richard Roundtree or Neil? I, I lose track. <laughs> okay, right. So from one uh, black superhero to another, Black Panther. We've moved on to our uh, review section now. So I'm going to pick up the first one, uh, and I'm going to talk about Black Panther. So, um, and this is a Marvel film. Yeah, uh, not. Uh, I'm bite and have a drink of water, so I don't have to say I, anything. I loved it. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. So did I. It's a comic book movie, so it's obligatory that it starts with an, an origin story. So the movie opens with a young boy called T'Challa, who will grow up to be the Black Panther and the hero of our movie, asking his father, the king, to tell him a story. And of course, he tells him the Black Panther Wakanda origin story, which goes like this. Jeff, are you sitting comfortably? Well, they repeated that story enough times throughout the film that I don't think I'll ever get it out of my brain, but please tell us again, Graham. Once upon a time, a meteorite containing vibranium, or vibranium, the strongest metal in the known universe, impacted in Central Africa. And five tribes in Central Africa fought over this precious substance until one leader arose to unite four of the tribes under the religion of the Panther gods. The fifth tribe, the Jabari went off in a huff to live in the mountains and worship their own gorilla god. More on them later. The remaining four tribes created the country of Wakanda. Okay, so over time, the Wakandans used the vibranium to develop advanced technology and isolated themselves from the world, convenient plot plot point there, uh, posing as a third world country. Right, story time's over, back to today. So, in... um, 
Civil War, I think it was, uh, we saw... Um, the murder. The murder of his father, yes. Yeah. So following the murder of the old king of Wakanda, Prince T'Challa returns to his homeland to stake his claim as the rightful king. Wakandan kings are chosen through trial by combat and after the quickly dispatching the only challenger, who was the head of the Jabari tribe, T'Challa is crowned and quickly moves on to bring Ulysses Claw, a sworn enemy of Wakanda, to justice. So they deal with this pretty quickly. So, you know, you get the Black Panther coming back he assumes the throne and then he learns that Ulysses Claw uh, is uh, going to uh, South Korea to sell a piece of vibranium. So they all travel to uh, to uh, South Korea uh, to capture him. So he travels with his uh, the leader of his personal bodyguard, uh, a lady called Okoya, uh, and a Wakandan spy and T'Challa's uh, ex-lover, uh, Nakia, um, uh, things don't go well for the Wakandans, uh, and uh, Fabio. Sorry, Scar- sorry it's, this is like a Marvel version of Scarface, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> no, it's much better than that. Okay, yeah. So um, they they have this great car chase. Claw escapes, and we soon meet the real villain of the movie, an ex special forces soldier called Killmonger. Killmonger wants the throne for himself, and he wants to use Wakanda's technology to take on the world and to right the wrongs of colonial history. His parents having never told him that two wrongs never make a right. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it here, but um, I'll do that in the next section. But needless to say, lots of battles, wonderful special effects, and it takes us through to the end of the movie. So that's the synopsis of really what the movie's about. My comments are, I loved it. Uh, and more importantly, uh, my inner eight-year-old really enjoyed it too. I mean, I read these comics when I was very young. Um, and they were brilliant. And this this is more of the same up on the big screen. From the outside, I should state that there really are two movies rolled into this one. There's the straightforward Marvel superhero movie and there's the social story of black heroes in an African sovereign nation fighting for justice. So it's a very, very modern take on the superhero movie. Uh, and as one of the, the Marvel solo movies where they just had to focus on one of them, I think it's one of the best of the bunch compared to the previous solos like The Incredible Hulk in 2008 and Ant-Man and even Doctor Strange. And as a massive Doctor Strange fan, it hurts me to say this, but Black Panther was better. <coughs> and this is absolutely remarkable. When you consider this, this was uh, Ryan... Uh, Coglers. Coglers. Is that how we pronounce his name? God. Ryan Cogler's third movie, his third movie, and Disney gave him two hundred million. That's a ballsy move by this studio. A mistake. <laughs> so, what, in my opinion, did Marvel get for his two hundred million? Well, firstly, it got a coherent story, allegedly, a, a villain that was believable and had a real motive. Stunning sets, production design, vibrant world. Wakanda felt very real to me. Uh, it looks really lived in. So, so real. I'd love to spend a holiday there. Uh, the studio got exceptional cinematography, the bright colours of Wakanda, the incredible skies for the spirit plane and the oversaturated neon colours for the downtown Seoul. This uh, lady who's the uh, cinematographer really, really, I think, did excellent work. I also enjoyed the little touches, you know, the first trial by combat happening in the morning when the sun rises, uh, a new dawn for Wakanda and the second fight with Killmonger 
in the evening when the dark times for Wakanda are approaching. The music was phenomenal. Um, uh, the sort of the, the tribal African music uh, and contrasting to uh, the best of Top Dog Entertainment. The battles and chases were pumping hip-hop from Kendrick Lamar uh, and the more tranquil moments reserved for the tribal songs recorded uh, on location in Africa by the composer uh, Goranson. So it's clear that Googler uh, has surrounded himself uh, with people he, he's comfortable with and trusts to deliver the goods. Um, the villain Killmonger is Michael B. Jordan, who appears in Coogler's last two movies. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's A Friend and was the producer on Coogler's first movie, Fruitville Station. An uh, excellent little movie if you've got any time to see that. It's really a, quite a different thing. Um, uh, the composer Ludwig Göransson scored scored all three of his movies. The cinematographer Rachel Morrison also worked on Kugler on Fruitville Station. Incredibly, um, the cinematographer Rachel Morrison is the first female cinematographer ever to be nominated for an Academy Award. 66 years of only men nominees. Uh, that's beyond shameful. Oh, I've got to agree with you there, and it's the only point I will agree with in this review. <laughs> okay, so... Um, let's move on I, I, I just thought it was I, I loved it um, I, I think it's a little gem it's polished to perfection uh, and by an up and coming superstar director I love the British actress uh, Letitia Letitia <laughs> Wright who stole every scene she was in and nice to see her awarded as a rising star at BAFTA an excellent ensemble cast, never lost track of who was who because the narrative was so well constructed, slick, solid, fun. Um, would be the, my three-word review, a solid and well-deserved four stars from me. Um, one thing, um, what you get for £200 million is £470 million so far. So far, money back. Yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing opening weekend. Absolutely. And that from the nation that put Trump in charge. Um <laughs> You okay. might have to cut that, Jeff. <laughs> Please cut more of it. Right, okay, well, uh, thanks, Ray. Where do I start? Um, we had that discussion earlier on about DC and Marvel, and, and this is a shining example of where Marvel just gets it wrong. Now, better than Doctor Strange? I don't think so. Oh. This really, it's like a standalone episode in a wider arc. You've got this whole Marvel universe that's building up, building into Avengers Infinity War. And if it was a TV series, this would be that episode where, you know, the scriptwriters are on strike for a week. I know, we'll stop some smugglers. Serious lack of ambition in the story department. And Google's last film, the excellent Creed, is streets above this. I mean, to take the Rocky scenario and, and make something original out of it was really good. Now, I could sit here and knock what Marvel have done with this, but let's look at the positive. The design, Graham, you're right, absolutely spot on. Clearly an influence of Blade Runner, the original, not that boring sequel. <laughs> I knew that was going <laughs> to The political themes within this film I really loved. Uh, the last words spoken by Michael B. Jordan, I, I think, are a classic quote, which I won't say here because I haven't got the spoiler again. What do you mean, last words? Oh, there we Isn't go. Isn't that a spoiler? No. Well, when, yeah, the when last he, words when, in the film, Neil. When he takes when, him to the cave, 
and yeah. he's right. dying. Yes, I'm just saying yeah. this isn't a when, spoiler. When, is when a film stops... <laughs> I think the whole thing's a spoiler. Right. When a film stops, Neil, nobody <laughs> from that film says anything more. Okay? <laughs> Right. Except in a Marvel, because they have the post credit scene. Yeah, um, and we'll come and touch on that in a minute oh as well. Uh, and that was actually one of the good things about it, because that first of the two credit screens, which, which speaks about barriers, is absolutely excellent and particularly relevant to modern-day America. Um, I am a bit also concerned about this Wakanda, or Wakanda, or whatever nonsense name they made up for this, <laughs> Uh, wants to doesn't need international aid now we are in a moment of crisis on international aid anyway and i don't want to add seriousness into this but you've got a country that's actually hiding its wealth and it doesn't want international aid well you see where these right-wing conspiracy nuts are going to go with this one don't you so that does worry me a little i've got to say as well on performances letitia wright graham absolutely spot on that lady is brilliant and while i'm not that looking forward to avengers infinity war aquaman's going to be much better i think seeing letitia wright in scenes with uh, the guys that play bruce banner and iron man could be quite interesting and quite sparky in the dialogue i would also like to point out how they stole from dc by the women elite guard clearly based on wonder women so you know all in all it's okay it's like one of those hawaii 5 tv episodes it's possible but let's get back to the main plot guys i've uh, just checked up on box office mojo it's 490 million dollars <laughs> that's what you get for 200 million Okay, do you want to look at how well the last Transformers film did against its budget, Neil? Because yeah, I think you'll find that week. did really well as well. It's a week. Yeah, but I'm just making the point you can't say people will go watch anything if it's packaged enough. Okay. Well, uh, hang on. Moving Jay. on. Yeah, yeah. And, and let me address your comments. You know, um, I'm going to start saying that the, the role of Neil and myself on this podcast is to protect you from yourself. We both acknowledge that you've got an encyclopedia, an encyclopedic, that's easy for me to say, knowledge of cinema. But when you stray out of your comfort zone, horror and politics, and, uh, and into Neil and my patch, you're just a grumpy old contrarian. Yeah. Uh, whilst Doctor Strange was very good, I admit that, yeah. It was 80% origin story. Um, how did the Sorcerer Supreme go from arrogant, you know, thoughtless surgeon to a mystical guardian of all humanity? The movie concentrates mainly on, on his growth um, and a, a person, uh, you know, his growth as a person and, and it questions uh, his moral choices and beliefs uh, of his previous life. Uh, you know, and the last 20% of the movie is a trippy battle with Dormammu using his time-altering abilities. You know, Black Panther does its origin story in five minutes, in the first five minutes, and then you get 129 minutes of, um, of story-driven action. Ending in a trippy battle with white rhinosaurs. <laughs> white rhinos. Rhinos, sorry. <laughs> rhinosaurs. Rhinosaurs, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think that's what they called in Wakanda or whatever else it is. <laughs> no, they're not. They're a rhinos. TV episode that's <laughs> about stopping smugglers. Okay, so it's harsh. F- first we have the yeah, very harsh. First we have the 
the theft of the vibranium artifact and some nice lines from Jordan about the theft of culturally significant artifacts. Elgin marbles, anybody? Um, then we have Circus <laughs> trying to sell the <laughs> items to an American arms dealer who is really a CIA operative. And that results in an incredible oh, that scene in the in the casino was phenomenal. Fantastic. The long tracking shot yeah. is just absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm sorry, this is something a Roger Moore James Bond film would have been ashamed of putting in there. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I, I, I mean, and you know, it just the the whole uh, scene with the handover or, or, or trying to flog the uh, vibranium was great. I mean. You know, you get that long tracking shot fight and then the casino and then it moves seamlessly into a, a massive car chase uh, where one of the cars is controlled remotely from halfway around the world. And, oh, yeah, just like we see every week on TV. Yeah, uh, And then... Top Gear. <laughs> there is the smuggler part of the movie. That's over. That's done. That After that fight in the, in the, um, in the casino, that's gone. Uh, and then the quest... Killmonger's quest moves up the agenda and the whole movie changes, you know. I'm glad you liked um, Jordan's character's last words. Um, I also liked the um, uh, Bosman's final words at the UN where he says, wise rulers build bridges, not barriers. Oh, Absolutely. I that was a dig at. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, Bosman was a wee bit flat in his performance. I thought Jordan outshone him. I thought he's his, his uh, sister, his young sister, I shot him as well. Hopefully, he'll he'll get more confidence with the next one. And I'm with the money that Neil's just come up with. I'm sure there's going to be one. Now, finally, hang on, hang on. The elite guard, the Wonder Women. Let's just just let's just go. Hang on. So the Dora Magi, uh, they're Wakanda's elite special forces. Okay, they have a job, a role, a creed. The warriors of Themyscira. Uh, Themyscira, that's the women. They're all female warriors because there's only women on Themyscira, you know, and somebody has to be a warrior. So they just thought, you know, there's no thought about that. That's just a typical Marvel chuck it in, yeah? And and this comes from the reboot, Marvel's reboot of their entire universe in the New 52, uh, where they brought in a new origin story for, for Wonder Woman, and that's where you get the warrior women of Themyscira, that's where you get Wonder Woman now being a demigod, and that was seven years ago. And the Dora Magi in Black Panther, they were back in 1998, 19 years ago. So they actually predate, so DC stole the, the idea from Marvel. Anyway, they're all just a spin on the ancient Norse mythology of the Valkyries. Yeah, so more, and they're in Marvel's Thor. Uh, so if you think the Vikings and their mythology predate, I think they predate the DC Comics. So stick to horror, Jeff, and stop spreading superhero fake news. I will end with this. <laughs> a wise man once said, the world has had enough of experts. <laughs> He was are not you, a wise man. Are you two finished? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. Black, Black Panther. I've seen it twice. I really enjoyed it twice. Twi- well, it more twice. is fair to say. I would. I saw it us. before you saw it on, uh, oh, on Sunday. I went oh. on the Tuesday it came out. Do you have trouble sleeping at night, Neil? <sighs> on the one hand, it's an excellent film from the mighty Marvel machine. On the other, it's a well-scripted film that's not about American might and power like some yep. of the other ones, yep. which I 
did like, hiding their super tech from the world, read United States, because they want to keep it for themselves, but more importantly, don't want the world to weaponize it. There are funny moments, Letitia Wright mainly. It's engaging, the fight scenes are well done. I liked the cast, the visuals are stunning. Marvel have a formula and it works. And my only problem that is in a month's time, I'll be looking forward to Avengers 3 and Deadpool 2. And and so will I. (laughs) All in 2018. So that's four Marvel films in 2018. It's too much. It is too too much. much. You get no time to enjoy it. We don't even... um, I think the Avengers 3 will be out and then the Blu-ray will be out about three months after that. I think we'll we'll, we'll have seen all of those films before Blu-ray comes out. Um, and if you've read the comics as you have, Graham, I appreciate you have a reference point. For those who haven't, it becomes just another chapter in a larger collection. And I don't want to agree with that, Jeff, but it becomes a TV show. I know they're all spectacular and they're fantastic and they are not TV programmes, but it just becomes a TV show. It's almost you, you're... you're um, it's it's um, it's like Coronation Street almost. Yep. It's your your characters are turning up. They brought in a new characters. Some of them will work. Some of them won't. And the ones that work will go into um, uh, the Avengers film. And the ones that don't will go into when well, next time we see them will be the next Black Panther movie. Actually, Jeff, we had a really interesting discussion um, last week, was it about? horror movies or the the horror movies in the 1930s and how you thought that this was a, a parallel now for horror movies in the 30s. Was it, I mean, it's not yeah, horror no, movies, it's... Was yeah, it horror movies? Yeah, yeah, Universal had a horror cycle which horror started cycle, with yeah. Frankenstein and Dracula in 30 and 31, uh, which run up to pretty much the end of the Second World War. And what happened to escalate it, they brought in lower... Other horror characters like the Wolfman, which came in in '41, and then as that was starting to to wave, they brought them all together, like the Avengers films are now, and ultimately ended up in comedy with them meeting Abbott and Costello. Now I'm not knocking that film; it's actually quite a good film. It blends comedy and horror quite nicely, but it killed the whole thing off. And, and, and that's the danger here. You're quite right. I think they're 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 holding the comedy over into the Guardians of the Galaxy, so they're trying to do that. It's quite funny with excellent Chris Pratt. Um, but that's because it's a separate movie with yes. a whole load more different characters. And Black but, Panther is fantastic, but we don't get time to enjoy it. Yeah, but the problem is exactly as Jeff pointed out. They're about to all meet up. Yeah. In Infinity War, so we're yeah. going to have the Guardians in Infinity War, we're going to have Black Panther in Infinity War, and they, oh, I don't be think this very... is going to end well. Yes, it'll be very interesting. I mean, it, uh, Black Panther, as I say, it's four hundred ninety-one million already after one week. That's not too bad. Um, but yeah, it's you know, what's the next and one? And the whole the whole franchise is worth twelve billion. You know, yeah. that's what it's made, 12 billion, and nobody's going to stop it. It's Disney no. at its best. Mm. And, and this is where DC are better again, oh, because they've faced themselves and are only doing one movie this year, which is Aquaman. What, they're doing one good movie, then three shit ones, then a one, that's sort of pacing. Is that how they're doing their no, just pacing? one, Aquaman, end of the year. Superhero whose power is, what's his superpower, come on? Talks to fish. Can talk to fish. There yes. we go. Result. Well. He's a fish whisperer. You know, if you watch Blue Planet, I think that would be something really to be accomplished. 
Okay, so guys, let's step away from uh, superhero movies for a moment and uh, I'll pick my review up if I may. Go for it. Right, so mine is the latest fantasy film from writer-director Guillermo del Toro, the most highly acclaimed film of his career, and it is, of course, The Shape of Water. It's been nominated for 13 Oscars, won two BAFTAs, Music and Best Director, won four Golden Globes, and won the Golden Lion Award in last year's Venice Film Festival. All of this praise is, I think, well-deserved, as this is a stunning technical achievement. Yep, and I don't want to yet again put something down, but for some reason, and I'll go into this in a bit more detail shortly, I don't connect emotionally with this film. And this is a real puzzle for me, as my two favourite themes, horror and politics, are ever-present in The Shape of Order. The horror, because the monster is essentially the creature from the Black Lagoon, from those classic 1950s Universal films, and the politics, because the movie is set in the early 1960s, at the height of the Cold War. So set in the scene for the drama... The American army have captured this strange part-man, part-fish creature from the depths of the Amazon basin and are looking to exploit its strengths. The creature is taken to a secret government research station in Baltimore under the control of government agent Strickland, played by Michael Shannon. Now, to me, this is the only actor in the film who doesn't really stretch himself, which is a bit of a disappointment because I really do like Shannon. Now, this plot up to now sounds very standard for a 50s monster movie and if it was to play to form and in fact if it was made back in the 50s the creature would eventually escape the lab and go on the rampage only to be stopped by the american army this however is not that story because it isn't told from any of those people's point of view it's told from the character of elsa sally hawkins who everybody other than me said earlier that she was brilliant which she is she's an excellent form she's a cleaner at the lab who over time forms a bond and eventually falls in love with the creature before i go further with this review i would like the sound of the spoiler alert as i'm going to be talking at length about the film's ending and its meaning if you haven't seen it then go forward 10 minutes in this podcast to skip this review, something I'm sure Neil always does when I'm speaking. I'm just fast-forwarding now, Jeff. (laughs) Excellent, thank you. Okay, you've had your chance. So, this is a love story with violence, not a horror film. In short, it's a reworking of Beauty and the Beast, with Michael Shannon's character essentially becoming Gaston, even down to his being in love with Beauty, Sally Hawkins. The tone throughout and production values all help reinforce the fairy tale elements of the tale, the opening narration, the colour palette, and the most striking, for me, Alexander Desplat's wonderfully light and evocative music score. It won BAFTA, and I wouldn't be surprised if it wins Oscar as well. By emphasising a European quality in the music, it brings the fairy tale element back to the continent of its birth, forming a clever contrast to the America of the Cold War. Indeed, the aspect of the American-Russian Cold War, like Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth, contrasts a harsh political reality with a fantasy story. This time, however, it is not always as direct as with the depiction of Franco's fascists. True, Michael Shannon Strickland is a man who is used to getting his own way and dispenses coldly with anything he doesn't understand. But I don't think he's an overt sadist. Instead, his character, like America of that time, is depicted as having an underlying corruption to it. 
Examples that illustrate in this, Strickland has his fingers bitten off by the creature as them reattached. And there's a motif throughout the film about key lime pies from a local diner. All of this is shown to be rotten. Uh, indeed, the pie seller, an object of attraction for Elsa's gay neighbour, Giles, Richard Jenkins, another understated and wonderful performance, which should have been nominated mm-hmm. in Best Supporting Actor, is ultimately revealed to be a racist, homophobe, and worst of all, a Canadian pretending to be an American. There's just no depth to the evil of that pie seller. This reveals the flaws in a past which many older Americans hold up to be perfect when America was great and the Russians were evil. Yet the truth is there are corrupt power brokers who probably have more in common with their Russian enemy than the people they represent. For me, this makes The Shape of Water as good a metaphor for current American political life than any news report or documentary on the failings of the Trump regime. This is the real strength of The Shape of Water, its use of metaphor within fairy tale convention, commenting on truth and memory. And that leads nicely into what I believe is the wonderful conceit of the film, the use of the unreliable narrator and the many different interpretations you can put into this film. So the tone is set from the very first words spoken by Richard Jenkins as Giles. And he says, if I spoke about it, if I did, what would I tell you? This is perfectly setting up the tale. This is a story about to be recounted, or is it something being made up? Is Giles just telling you through metaphor how lonely he is and what he is longing for? Is Elsa just an extension of him? After all, he is a gay man in a time when it was a criminal offence to be a practising homosexual and, as in the film, could be fired from your job when someone believed you were gay, never mind about actually practising. So, it is not too much of a stretch to believe the whole film is taking place in Giles's head as a wish fulfilment. There are references to this throughout. Look at the fridge full of uneaten pie. More than just for two people. A wonderful dance sequence with Elsa and the creature reflecting Giles's favourite type of films. And the ending. It's an ending where everything suddenly goes right. Which, if you think about the powers this creature then has, could have put an end to some of the treatment he was having earlier on in the film. But suddenly it all ends up perfect which brings me back to where i started on the technical performance level i was engaged and enthralled throughout but never moved to be fair i have the same feelings for all of guillermo's work the reason for this i like the director have a real soft spot for these old-time monster movies however i don't share his love of the creations within them you are supposed to like both elsa and giles meant to love the creature i didn't Regardless of how good a performance Doug Jones gives, the creature doesn't change. It's the same throughout. I felt pity and revulsion at the way he was treated, but no more than that. So, that emotional aspect aside, this is a technical masterwork, more so when you realise what the budget is. It has something that most of our fantasy films don't have these days, and certainly I can go back to talking about Marvel on this, (laughs) imagination from an original mind. Who knows, maybe the next Guillermo del Toro film will give me that missing emotional piece. Lance, what do you think? I agree, Jeff. I mean, the film is visually stunning. Yes, it's good, but was I emotionally engaged? Not really. I've seen it twice. It it was brilliant. It is absolutely fantastic. But 
it's you know my eyes were glued to the screen the time flew by uh, it's a great story uh, i'm not sure what was missing um sally hawkins elisa it's elisa by the way puts in a stellar performance as a mute she's intelligent but has to work the graveyard shift as a cleaner she's unfulfilled and lonely as are all of the members of the cast i like to co-worker olivia octavia expenses zelda who translates elisa's sign language and speaks for both of them sometimes translates without looking at her on more than one occasion because she knows she's going to have to say something less rude she speaks of her husband who doesn't speak to her it's on a as much a film of people who don't fit the society as an aquatic beauty and the beast even michael shannon strickland really has to try hard to fit in and his disintegration as the film goes on is extremely well played by the ever excellent michael shannon but Going, touching on that, I don't think Shannon played anything different to what he did in Boardwalk Empire. That is the same character. That's, no. You're wrong. No. I thought he was... Um, uh, I thought he was much more a, a troubled, deeply troubled man. I mean, every, you know, his life was falling apart. Everything was falling. He, he had no... Uh, enjoyment in his life at all. He, he got a, a teal car, and, and for a few moments he was happy. But then that all fell to pieces. You know, when he got it's smashed true. up. Uh, I mean, his relationship with his wife was just terrible. His kids just ignored him. They, they, every scene you see with the kids, they try and engage with him. He brushes them off. They sit in front of the television with their backs to the to the parents. Now, I know that's probably how most kids sat in the fifties, but it just. Yeah, it's, it's like he knew what was what was expected of him, and he just um, he had to try and do it, but he didn't understand why. I mean, yeah. he's a killer. Yeah, it's a nasty I, uh, piece of work. I I just I loved the whole thing. I just I got I thought it was a great film. It's just it's got so many layers. It's you know I I take your point about you know the uh, the monster movie and all of that. I I thought all of the religious references were fantastic. Yeah. The savior complex thing. Uh, I thought the even the the way they did the scenery. You know every time you were in Sally Hawkins' world world, it was all smooth lines and curves and shapes and and pastel colors. And every time. You were in the government agents or the Russians. It was all harsh, sharp, light. It was uh, sharp edges. In fact, um, the government agent's um, room, the office he sat in, was actually triangular. None of the walls were straight. It was all sharp triangles. It was just everything. And and I still haven't processed the whole bloody film yet. I I saw it a a week ago, did we see it? A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, just a week ago. And it was, it's, I'm still thinking, oh, hang on, that reference is that, and oh, why didn't they do that? And and it's just so many layers. I mean, I know uh, Del Toro's a great writer, and I've read some of his, his books, but he just, he started with an idea and just layered and layered and layered on it. And then it's just wonderful, wonderful. And I, I did get an emotional connection, mainly with Sally Hawkins' character. And, you know, uh, and I take your point that maybe it's the gay next-door neighbour's uh, view of the world and she's mute because uh, homosexuality in those days was the the love that dare not speak its name and therefore she doesn't speak. And, the, and then you think, oh, well, that's a bit twee. And, 
but there was just so much of the layers and, and the, the, the fridge being full of cake and all the cake being green, or pies rather, being green. Well, and the not, whole not, thing. not key lime pie green, bright fluorescent green. Yeah. Uh, but it was all sort of, uh, the whole thing was blues and greens, greens yeah. and greys, wasn't yeah. it? The sort of feel of water. Yeah. And the yeah. rain, yeah. the amount of rain, and especially when they were looking out through the window in, in Sally's apartment, and the rain was... And, I and you can see both, both the, uh, apartments. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. the connection of the rooms and the way that when Sally travelled anywhere, she travelled in this sort of magical bus with fantastic lighting and, and big uh, reflections of her face in the window. Yeah. And so she gets on the magical bus and she goes from the, the horror of work to her home environment and then she takes something from work and travels on the bus. And it was just really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings me back to the fact it's a director's film. Oh, Guillermo yeah. del Toro is wonderful at creating this. In his previous film to this, Crimson Peak, exactly the same, the production, everything was there. It's just, it's so technically layered... I just felt it squeezed the emotion out for me. Mm, yeah, I, I can probably see that. I mean, I, I, Pan's Labyrinth, I absolutely yeah, adored. Fantastic. I adored the uh, Devil's Backbone. I haven't seen anything else he did. You've the seen Hellboy? You've seen the Hellboy? Oh, I've seen the Hellboy, but, sorry. But the yeah. creature in and, um, um, the Blade 2? Oh, God, yeah, he did Blade 2. Yeah. The first yeah. black superhero, actually, to come back to. It's not uh, Black Panther. Blade was the first uh, uh, black superhero. Yeah, but the main thing in the um, um, Pan's Labyrinth, the creature wasn't the main thing. And no, I don't no, think the no. creature worked in this one, being the, the, the key member of the yeah, cast. Yeah. It was the, an extra thing that they yeah. went to later. Yeah. Um, I just felt that, um, yeah, having the thing there the whole time, um, maybe less. I, I, I don't know. I personally, yeah, I take the point that it could be in... Um, in um, um, the uh, his, her neighbour's mind and the story was his to make up. I, I, it could easily be um, Elisa's dream, and there's bits of the, her real life yeah. tacked in. And while she's dreaming, she comes up with all these things about the creature um, and her being able to get into that secure facility yeah. um, where you can't get into mm-hmm. because it's locked. Um, she's allowed in as a cleaner, but only when other people are there. Um, she would not have been able to get in on her own and being able to sit there and with the cameras all around and nobody seeing her, I yeah. thought that was all part of a um, a dream that mm-hmm. she was having at the beginning while she's sort of pretend, uh, dreaming of being floating, yes. which um, is the first scene. It's possible. Will, yeah, no, I would end this by saying, if you're a cat lover, you'd best probably avoid this one. <laughs> well... Just avoid one little scene. Yeah. Close your eyes. Yeah. 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 It's not good. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> not Spo- good for the cat, anyway. Yeah. So, shall we put a different type of spoiler warning, uh, sort of just like a cat going... Yeah, yeah. animals. <laughs> you know, anything to do with animals, we put it in there. Right, okay, so Moving let's on. go to our final review. And it's early man, so let's go over to our early man, Neil. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I'll just take this down several tones, I think. Um, or raise the tone. No, just it makes it a lot easier. The um, Early Man is the latest from Ardman, the Bristol-based company that gave us Wallace and Gromit, and a whole lot more. The film starts in the age of dinosaurs. The caption reads, Pleistocene period. Plasticine. 
Get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I yeah, got yeah. It. yeah, I got it the um, first time. So. Did you? Did you? I had to read out. Um, I love it if the creation of the whole film was based around that single joke. Um, um, along, along comes a meteorite that does not contain vibranium as oh. it's set near Manchester. It kills the dinosaurs and leaves early, early man with the football-shaped meteorite. Thus is football invented. So far, the film is more historically correct than Braveheart. <laughs> Many ages later, sorry, I'm English. Uh, many ages later, and the creator left by the meteor is fertile amid the dark lands, and so we meet early man. Eddie Redmayne plays Doug, an enthusiastic Stone Age man. Unfortunately, the rest of the tribe are not, especially the chief, chief Bobnar, uh, voiced by Timothy Spall. Among other members of the tribe are voiced by Richard Ayoade as Trebor. Ooh, it's pointy. Um, Johnny Vegas is Asbo and Mark Williams is Barry whose best friend is a rock and it appears cleverer than he is but they chase rabbits together they party together and they eat together this idyllic land of trees, food and rabbits is rudely interrupted by a Bronze Age man Lord Nooth voiced by Tom Hiddleston and he wants to mine the bronze available in the valley so they're turfed out the film is witty, engaging and funny even though the trailers include a lot of the scenes from the beginning of the film, I still laugh several times in just the first ten minutes. Apart from Lord Nooth and my other Bronze Age characters voiced by Maisie Williams as Guna. Guess what? She likes football. Whoa. And no Arsenal reference there at all. I didn't <laughs> say anything, all right? Uh, as Miriam Margulies as Queen Ufifa, Queen of FIFA. Um, but Brock Bryden is a message bird and an extreme. You know, I missed that joke. Did you? Yeah, I honestly <laughs> so missed it. I, I missed that. Uh, yeah, joke. I missed that. There, there's, it's just full. It's full. <laughs> it of is. It. Um, it's um, there's a message bird is an extremely funny one too. Oh, the commentators sorry. are basically Saint and Greavesy. For those of a certain age, um, it was an excellent inclusion. Brought back excruciating memories of Saint's puns. And um, you know who voiced those characters, don't you? It was um, Coogan, Steve Coogan, wasn't no, it? No, it was Rob Brydon. Was Rob Brydon? Yeah. You well, want something done right? Voices. You go Welsh. <laughs> he he did what? both the voices. He did both the voices. Yeah, and oh, the message yeah. bird. Oh, the message bird was just phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> I'll get rid of my iPhone and I'll have a message bird. <laughs> How does this thing work? After first showing, I thought it missed a certain spark, or was my expectation too high? On second viewing, I began to see the jokes in the background. There's plenty of them, plus slapstick humour and running jokes that made me laugh even the second time round. One advert for toilet rolls claims the world's number two choice. <laughs> Hardmen make a lot, a lot of use of visual humour, for example, in a glass door and many, many wooden stadium seats. The film... I don't believe makes any bold claims to hidden messages, except maybe that the Stone Age men are all friends. Stone Age people are all friends, and Bronze Age make people all work for Lord Nooth, whose avarice and greed clouds his decision-making. Guna is not allowed to play football because she's a girl, a fact that astonishes Doug. Um, at this voluntary contributions to enter the football stadium are compulsory, with contributions increasing each game. is a nice dig at the Premier League. Particularly Chelsea. No, I don't think so. Uh, if I have any bugbear, it's pet, uh, Doug's pet pig, Hognob, voiced by Nick, director Nick Park himself. But I feel a bit better for me, kept mute like Gromit, 
Note, perhaps all of Ardman's previous films feature animals that are either silent or they talk properly, such as chicken run and flushed away. Stupid non-animal like noises, ooh, and uh, seem to detract from the film. Or I'm too old for a kick's film, probably the latter. Um, that said, film is great fun for all ages. I asked around at work, they said their kids also enjoyed it, and we'll be sp- spotting jokes we've missed into the next decade, just like all their other films. It is as is it as good as The Curse of the Weir Rabbit? No. Is it funny? Yes. The film deserves to do well. Ardman deserves to do well. You got your yes and no mixed up there. Did I? Yes, you did. No, uh, is it as good as Weir Rabbit? Yes. Is it funny? Well, it's okay. You, oh. you just laughed at the Queen of FIFA joke. No, the Queen of FIFA was good. And Thank this is the much. problem. This is the problem with the film. This is where I do agree you with you. You see it I think once it and you don't does see them all. Lark the sparkle that it should have it's like a clothesline and on that clothesline it's pegged up joke after joke after joke but there's nothing unifying it you look at pixar or neil you help me with this is it Leica? Leica, yeah Leica, yeah they their films have a real depth to them you know inside out cuba and the two strings which i know neil you particularly like fantastic there's there's levels to that film. This doesn't have that, and it's not trying to have that. Let's be fair about it. It's essentially a joke about football in the Stone Age, and then you've got things going in the background. One I liked was um, what the stall for Flint Eastwood. Uh, you know, it, it's very British. It makes no concessions, and in fact, going back to the politics of it, I think you could call this the first Brexit movie as well. No, yeah, oh, no, it doesn't. I might you know, say, it does. said that in the Guardian, and it's. Rubbish. No, no, I think it's right. I think it's right. I think um, Lord Nuth was voiced as a French person just because it was funnier. No, 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 no. It was voiced deliberately for that. And this is the, <laughs> the rest of the movie. It's a kid's movie. It's yeah, kid's absolutely. Any, um, Don't be silly. Jeff, I'm sorry. I thought it was just great. I just just take it at what it is, you know. It's, no, that's it's, good. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not decrying it. I'm just saying that it it's like a line of jokes. And there's nothing underneath of that. You know, it does, so, so what that means to me is it's great while you're watching it, but it just doesn't have that consistency of, of, of classic animation like Bambi, which, which lasts you know, forever. And, and in fact, I think this, to me, hits the Hardman where its real problems are. I think it's stop-motion films. It just can't get them to run full length. The computer animation films like Flushed Away or Arthur Christmas really work. Neil, you mentioned Curse of the Were-Rabbit. I just think it's overlong. You look at the short films, the 30-minute films that Nick Park does, they are brilliant. But expanding it out, I just think, causes them problems. The Wrong Trousers, Chicken Run. Yeah, that's 30 minutes long, The Wrong Trousers. Okay, that one is, yes. It's also got one of the best villains in all time. I think Chicken is the greatest villain ever. He scares the shit out of me. <laughs> he can walk up walls and on the ceiling. <laughs> yes, That's terrifying. With a strange look. That's very strange. Look. And you know, I, I think in Christmas is to come. That's going to be a, a standard film up that, that you'll watch. But when you've watched it, you'd have forgotten about it again no, straight away. I, I, I don't agree. I, th- I think it's a, a classic little British film. I think it's wonderful. I, I can't wait to watch it again. I'll watch it. You know, when it comes on download, I'll download it, watch it. Well, and and I think I'll just roar at, uh, and I'll say, oh, I haven't seen that. And, oh, yeah. I didn't spot the FIFA yeah. joke. And hang on, uh, you know, because it, it was it was a very 
it was joke after joke after joke. There was too much. It was like a, a joke tsunami coming at you. And you think, oh, right, I've got that one. Oh, what, I missed. And there was loads of people running around. And I'm sure there were things going on. that The I rail bronzio. Yes, yeah. rail bronzio. I'll put it in perspective. I would sooner watch that again than Black Panda and its <sighs> wacky under. Uh, you know, so, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Black, I'll go with you on that one, guys. Black I'll give Panda, it to you. That's your comeback to my Suicide Squad <laughs> joke, is it? It's taken me all podcast to think about. <laughs> we, just for, as a note, we've been on this podcast fifteen hours, and that's yeah, a yeah it has okay. taken fifteen hours. Okay, no, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I can't wait to watch it again. I think it's good. it's Ardman. Yeah, it's a good Ardman film. It's not their best. I mean, nothing, nothing for me can ever beat the wrong trousers yeah. I just, and particularly the train set at the end yes wonderful and, and the whole grommet thing is, is, yeah. is yeah. brilliantly done and 30 in, minute shorts it works it, yeah I sort of get what you're going so with, you're saying Nick Parks I mean, needs an editor I just need no needs a scriptwriter. To be yeah. to be fair, this one's only sixty minutes long. It's not exactly. Well, I think it's a bit it's more like than sixty two, minutes. It's about eighty-five films. minutes long. And there is. It's a, not just there is uh, one. Thing. We'll, we'll, 60. We'll, let's we'll let that uh, Neil is now going to double check that. There is one thing that quite for listeners out there. This is really good podcasting. <laughs> Neil on the computer. <laughs> Sorry, no, Graham. I was going to say um, one thing I did like, and we stayed through the uh, the credits at the end. Um, was the amount of uh, trainees yes. that he had. He, it, the, all in the credits, he He's had trainee this, trainee it, this. And I thought, oh, that's really smart. He takes training, training up the next generation. And I'm sure in 10 years' time there'll be some young superstar uh, animator who'll just say, you know, oh, I owe it all to Nick Parks. Got me started in yep. it. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, on the subject of praise, I particularly like the last part of the credits, where the two dinosaurs from the very beginning come up, and the credit to them was one called Ray, one called Harry. Yeah, Ray <laughs> Harry Eisen. Yes, very good. Yeah. See, you're still liking it. Yeah. But you're right. I, I, I mean, it's not trying to be anything other than just a funny, funny film, and it's and it's good at it. Yeah. Okay. We spent this time talking, so you can verify that running time and apologize to me because i was right and you were wrong are no, you anyone not going to be able to do it no i didn't think you would graham over to you okay well that's <laughs> almost it from us this month uh, before we go let's do a quick around of the table of what else we've been watching jeff what else caught your eye and oh and you can include tv and, you, uh, and, and you've cinema. got three minutes. Okay, not three, three hours. You've got minus right. Three okay, minutes. let's do this really quickly then. So in the cinema, uh, and I acknowledge I went to Neil territory here. I thought Pixar's Coco was something of a return to form for them, a colourful, heartening journey into the land of the dead, and for animation, shows how you can string a story together. Nick Park, take note. Oh, shush. On TV, I rewatched the Denzel Washington version of the Magnificent Seven. Uh, growing up as a Western fan, this is a wonderful action-packed return to the old valleys of the Western. And I've got to be honest, this film's fast becoming a guilty pleasure. I have to agree with you there. Um, on it, TV, for me, the show that stood out in the last month or so is Inside Number 9, something I'd never really watched before, so I'm only catching up on season four. Six short stories, tremendous in capturing many moods from horror to pathos. Yeah, I, I'm just really impressed. Neil, when you've been awake, what's caught your eye? 
I've been watching the Winter Olympics, Jeff, haven't you? Uh, I'll watch it when the Russians are back. Oh, on TV, I've caught, on TV, I've caught up with a couple of films I missed in the cinema. Baywatch, which is truly awful. No, it's not. It's yeah. funnier than whatever that animated else. film was. Um, but, but The Rock and Zac Efron are quite funny. I'll give you that. Uh, King Arthur, which is not the best film Guy Ritchie has made, but it's eminently watchable. Um, like Jeff, I've seen Coco, apart from it being a copy of the film The Book of the Dead from a couple of years back. It's very good. No, it's Book of the Dead better. is excellent. No, this has got more depth. Um, I've watched the brilliant Hunt for the Wilder People from the equally brilliant Taika Waititi, who, of course, also directed Thor Ragnarok. Marvel. Yeah. Twelve Strong was a good watch when oh, Chris no. Hemsworth was okay and Michael Shannon, again, is outstanding. Again, I disagree. I think his character's wasted. He's put to the sidelines quite early on in the film and in a role that would have been different for him, we don't really get to see him. Wasted, perhaps, but still outstanding. Apart from the Winter Olympics, what have you been watching, Graham? Right, well, uh, I've been enjoying my Netflix subscription uh, this month, uh, the ten-part Altered Carbon Binge Fest. Um, this is uh, Netflix's original take uh, from the book of the same name by the English author Richard Morgan. I read this a long time ago, thought, well, well I'll never turn this into a movie. But they've done it, and it's cyberpunk. It's a really, really complex plot, lots of twists and turns. I thought it was excellent. Lots of moaning uh, on Reddit uh, from people who are watching Altered Carbon saying, oh, it gets really boring in the middle. Yeah, it's based on a really complicated book. Yes, of course, it's going to get boring in the middle shut up and enjoy it i've been watching the new star star trek show discovery just they've just finished the first season i really enjoyed it the klingons were a bit annoying uh but the um aren't they supposed to be no not this annoying the (laughs) deep incursion operatives uh, and threat from the mirror universe uh, were excellent Uh, for those trekkies who remember the second season of the original uh, Star Trek uh, series, The Mirror Mirror, um, will know that they're back in that world. Also on Netflix, I've been watching the second series of Dirk Gently, the Holistic Detective Agency. Uh, this is a very American take on Dirk, and it stars uh, Elijah Wood, uh, based very, very loosely on Douglas Adams' books, and uh, more of a reimagination, a reimagining uh, than an adaptation. Uh, but good fun, good fun. Um, I believe it's cancelled now, isn't it? Yeah, yep. they've cancelled it. Yeah, it's uh, a bit. I think it was a bit too wacky. Um, that's possibly not the reason, but Ooh. I don't really want to go into it on air. I'll tell you when we turn the uh, mics off what oh, really that's happened. Smart. That's nice. Kevin Spacey's not in it. It's <laughs> You're yeah. on the right lines. Oh, no, oh, no you're kidding me. Not Another again. One. Okay, so, <laughs> glossing over that. People get. And I look forward on a future podcast to debating Graham on Star Trek, much in the way I've debated him on Marvel this time. Uh, right, anyway, well, we've had a... We called it Star Wars last time. Uh, see what I mean? It's all the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, it's a pretty full month and a pretty long podcast, to be quite honest. Uh, next month, we have more of the same, and I also have the Stroud Film Festival to fit in. Uh, Some interesting events coming up there where actors and producers will be coming to talk about their films on show, including, Neil, Ardman here in Stroud. Excellent. So, uh, because I bet you didn't know that in the 1950s, Stroud was the centre for British animation. Animal Farm was done here. And for next month... 
Jeff will be reviewing, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the new family comedy, Peter Rabbit. Uh, But it's a Will Glick comedy. He who made Easy A, which you've got to admit, it's a great film. Graham will be reviewing the latest screen version of Tomb Raider. While Neil will be reviewing I, Tonya. Yeah? Yep. US ice skating in the early 80s, what's not to like? Finally, before we go... And this is Neil's favourite part of the show. It's yeah. our Just For Fun quiz. Before Eddie Murphy, who was originally going to be the Beverly Hills cop? Was it Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah, it was Donald Close, Trump. Close, but no cigar. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye. That's the end of our February podcast. And just a few things before we go. At The Flix, we'd like to recommend Phil the Bear's film reviews, which can be found at fillthebearblog.wordpress.com Highly recommended. Many thanks to the artist Silent Partner for our podcast music. You can find more excellent Silent Partner music on the YouTube audio library. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave us a comment in iTunes. Or better still, hit the subscribe button. This will ensure that you don't miss any future episodes of at the flicks you can also visit our website at theflix.co.uk for show notes and comments we will be adding more content to the website shortly you can get in touch with the show via email the email address is show at at theflix.co.uk oh and it doesn't matter if you spell flicks f-l-i-c-k-s or f-l-i-x as we have both email addresses covered our Twitter address is at the Pod for those who prefer tweeting to email. At the Flicks is a monthly podcast and comes out on the last day of each month. So, see you at the end of the month for the next one. Thanks again for listening and goodbye.